0: Welcome to the Instructional Redesign Podcast. Today, my guest is Roberta Dombrowski. She's VP of User Research at a company called User Interviews. In addition, she's a mindfulness teacher and facilitates individual group mindfulness sessions. Thank you, Roberta, for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: So I'm really excited to chat with you because you have such a unique career path and as a result, I think you've gained some valuable f- perspective from being a practitioner of user research that I think would be a huge benefit to those in uh, learning and development roles. But um, I might be getting ahead of myself. So to start <laughs> off, can you just summarize your career path and how that brought you to where you are now?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I actually started my career um, really in customer education and instructional design, um, I was working in service desk and started creating help articles on how to train people on how they could use the platform that I was working on. Um, and over the years, just really got frustrated with why am I writing these help articles? <laughs> like, shouldn't, shouldn't the platform be in a better state that we don't need to write help content? People just know how to use it. Um, and that really got me into product management, user experience design. Um, and I made some pivots over the, over the, along the way, but looking back on my entire career, career, really the kind of theme that has been through all of it has been user research. And I realized that a few years ago and decided to really specialize in user research, um, Really just love talking to customers, talking to employees about what's their pain points, challenges, needs, motivation, and then how do you use all of that to design solutions that really make their life easier, make their life better. Um, That's really what user research is all about. Um, I joined the user interviews team in July 2021, so it's been about six months almost. Um, and focused on building the user research practice here. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. Uh, Yeah, for this discussion, I feel like we probably need to define a few things, starting with user research. So how would you define that, and why would you say it's important?
1: Yeah. When I talk to people really at a high level, user research is all about holding space for people's lived experiences. Mm-hmm. Um that's all user research is and there's methods and tools that we can use to do that sometimes it's focus groups maybe it's one-on-one interviews whatever it might be but it's really holding space for people's experiences and learning more about their needs motivations behaviors
0: mhm and then the from a design and development perspective the thinking is mm-hmm. you can then use all that information that you gain from Trying to figure out who the user is and what their needs and desires yeah. are to create a more effective uh, end product that that meets their needs, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's over the years because like I got started in instructional design and customer education and got trained in the ADDIE model, um, and over the years got more exposed to like human centered design, UX research frameworks, and I had this moment I realized that. Really, the user research section of the ADDIE model is the analysis and evaluation phase. (laughs) It is how do you, who are the customers that you're you're connecting with? What are their needs, motivations, pain points? And that's usually an analysis. And then after analysis, all the way at the end in evaluation, you're trying to measure whether the human development solution, the learning solution, how is it effective? Is it meeting their needs? That's another part of user research as well.
0: Okay, so it's, it's coming back around later to to verify that the mm-hmm. product or solution actually did meet their needs, too. Yes, yes okay, exactly. uh, that's good to know. That's kind of something I didn't really add in, into the definition. So I'm learning something myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how would you make the the distinction between user research and user experience design? Is it would you say that user research is a phase of UX or it's something mm-hmm. that occurs beforehand, or what we just said that that it comes back around too. So is it then yeah. something else entirely?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I do think that um, it depends on like the organization that you're in, um, but typically user research is definitely like the first phase of UX design user experience. It's It's when you're getting that empathy, if you're thinking about a human centered design model, Um, And so basically, you're identifying the needs, getting that empathy of the customer, what are their pain points, and then incorporating that into a designer solution. In instructional design, it's a human performance solution, it might be training, it might be an e-learning video. If it's a product or service, then it might be a product feature um, or something like that. So. You're understanding the needs, the pain points through research, and then designing some type of solution to solve that need.
0: Mm, I love that. You know, one of the reasons I'm kind of passionate about this topic is because about, oh, about four or five years ago, I was actually considering a career transition into user experience design mm-hmm. and really dove into it, just researching it and finding things out. I went to a user experience conference here. Um, in cincinnati ohio in 2017 and ultimately i you know i chose to stick around in the learning and development field but Mm. i'm so glad i i took that time to really look into it because i learned so many valuable things and techniques to learn more about learning audiences and what what i can do to create more effective solutions that truly meet their needs and expectations and and keep that in the forefront of what I was doing while I was designing and developing, which I, I, you know, it's, it's often something that I don't want to say it's ignored, but it's something easy to put aside and just kind of go through the Addy process. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It takes time to do the research. It takes time to talk to customers. And especially when you're working on a product or working with the same group of customers, Maybe it's employees hmm. inside of your organization. There can be a bias to skip over the research because you you know that group already. Um, but it's always great to just right. check back and circle back um, to make sure that you know is this my bias as a practitioner, or is this assumption? Is this an assumption? Is this a fact? Is this something I know based on actually talking to an employee in the past? Um, yes to kind of just be a gut check yeah
0: and i found the opposite can be true as well where you take like a stakeholder's view of of the learning audience Mm -hmm. and you you kind of take that as as gospel without actually interacting with with individual users themselves so the stakeholder Mm -hmm. might say well our people are like this and they just need this and then you just take them for their word and go without actually ever having talked to somebody that definitely happen especially in large organizations um i I was in a healthcare organization where we had tens of thousands of employees and we were creating learning solutions for everybody and and in that case it's it's kind of overwhelming to to even think about okay well who are who are my users where where what's their work environment like because it's just Mm
1: -hmm. across
0: the board some people are in office buildings others are in warehouses and um Yeah, it can get overwhelming pretty quick. But the thing I I noticed in my time kind of looking into UX was there really is a lot of overlap between the two, a lot more than I would have expected. Um, But there's also like this language barrier between (laughs) the two. Yeah. And I've seen learning and development people kind of write off UX as something that's completely different from what they do, and they aren't interested in hearing too much about it. And I've seen UX people have actually been to like events where I go and then I tell them what I do and I get like weird reactions um like like I say I'm a paleontologist or something completely different uh and I've seen that same reaction given to people that are like instructional designers too so I know it's not just me so maybe just to confirm my my own sanity as someone who's been in both worlds do you see that there's that overlap, too, and that language barrier.
1: Yeah, and it, it comes down to semantics a lot of the times. Um, mm-hmm. I see similar things, too, when people talk about personas, like market personas, customer personas, learner personas. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all artifacts where you're trying to just really provide an overview of what somebody's core needs, behaviors, motivations are. Um, but the semantics, and I find people tend to um, kind of focus on that, and it 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 makes it difficult to have like the conversation about what the similarities are between all of those things. Um, I see similar things happening in instructional design, UX design, UX research. Um, I think the semantics create a barrier, but at the end of the day, the similarities that I see between those two, really roles, um, methods, frameworks is that we're all, we are all like to be problem solvers, right? As a UX designer, UX researcher, I'm a problem solver. I'm cr- identifying customer needs and creating some type of solution uh, to solve that need. The same is true of learning designers, instructional designers. It's just typically the solution or service that we're providing is some type of learning or human performance improvement. Um, And so I find that with like UX practitioners, the solutions are a little bit broader. It could be a product like Twitter or or Facebook or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But with instructional design practitioners, it's typically like a training program or creating company values for your organization. Um, the type of solutions that you're creating are just different.
0: Yeah, I've often thought that too, like the learning and development field really is UX, but your your final product is a learning solution, Mm -hmm. which when I hear the the title learning experience designer, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking, okay, this is learning applied to UX, but Mm -hmm. often that title isn't used that way. And when I look up the definition for what others are saying learning experience design is, that's not really what I'm, what I'm hearing and reading. I'm curious if you have a opinion on, on the distinction between learning experience design and instructional design.
1: <laughs> I've been a learning experience designer and i had instructional design um, in my title as well. I view them as similar. Um, I think because of my bias in being in UX is I view learning experience design as more iterative. Um, mm-hmm. I see learning experience designers taking more iterative approaches, doing things like empathy maps, research, prototyping things too. So really taking more of that agile approach. It, that might not also be the case. There might be some instructional designers who are working very iteratively. Um, But typically when I've talked to instructional designers or learning experience designers, um, that's kind of the patterns and themes that I start to see emerge between them.
0: Yeah, I kind of see the similar thing. um, But then I kind of fear that is that only a result of maybe more modern companies with more modern design approaches using the title of learning experience designer rather than instructional design and and having you know, more iterative processes as a result. So, um, also when we're talking about kind of some overlap between the two, there's user research and then there's the needs analysis phase of Addy. Mm -hmm. How would you say the two are similar? And then how would you say they're different?
1: Uh, I think they're pretty similar. (laughs) Um, when I'm typically doing a user research project, um, it depends, like for needs analysis, if I'm, it's, it's mostly when I was doing it in the past, it was with employees inside of the organization, because I was designing some type of learning solution. Um, when I'm doing user research, it depends on the project that I'm working on. But typically, it is more customer facing. Um, it could be, I work on a product that is consumer facing and B2B, but um, But at the Mm. same time, I've also just ran a research project. I'm helping our head of people determine our company values. So my needs assessment, my UX research for that project is we're doing interviews with our employees to ask them what they value about our work environment. Um, Mm. So the methods that we're using are very similar as I would use in a user research project. We're doing one-on-one interviews. We did some focus groups. Um, we're probably going to send out a survey, so it's it's pretty similar between the two. It, it often just depends on the audiences or who the end customer is.
0: Rounding out this topic, so if you had to give one piece of advice to an instructional designer about the benefits of user research, what would that be?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> i'd say do it <laughs> like i think one of the benefits is of talking to doing the user research is you're talking to the customer the end consumer who's going to be using your service your product your learning design you're getting feedback typically quickly um one example is i'm actually working with a member of my team she's putting together documentation on how to do a new procedure that she's rolling out um i asked her like hey test this out with someone on our team so she ended up just sending like slack messages sitting down with them seeing if they could get through the how-to document that is user research in a super easy form and she realized really quickly what was working with the solution that she put together and what wasn't working um so that she actually could get it out quicker um it was definitely like pressure testing the solution she was putting together And that's one of the benefits of user research is that instead of investing like months or weeks at a time on a program design, a new course that you're putting out, uh, getting it all the way to done, releasing it and then realizing like, oh, this actually doesn't work. You can stop um, and get feedback pretty quickly and adjust along the way. Um, You can end up saving time and money in the long run because of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, what's that saying about fail early fail often or something like that
1: yeah yeah fail fast fail often. yeah
0: yeah so the idea is just to kind of get that out of the way if if there's issues you identify that up front before you spend a lot of time in it so yeah that, that could definitely be one yeah. of the benefits I kind of look at user research as being a, like a needs analysis that's a little bit more robust and a little bit more mm-hmm. thorough and I think one of the things that might deter people from kind of taking it on as they might think that it, it's going to take all this extra time and, and effort and um, require things that they might not have budget for or whatever. But like you said, you can do it in a way that that's more simple and quick than what people might have in mind. And whenever you can, I always recommend that people just go out and observe people in their actual work environment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It, it's extremely yeah. difficult to view people in the work environment and not get some kind of, of insight
1: yeah yeah it can be really quick I think like I've been in organizations where typically whenever I join any type of organization I do some type of like study to understand what are people's perception of research and it's really common like research is a really needy word right and we have a lot of bias like oh research that's going to take forever but A stakeholder interview is a form of research. I just did one last Mm -hmm. week. It was 20 minutes. I just talked to someone on our sales team to learn more about the work that he does every day. Um, Super easy. Got it done really quickly. It was just a conversation. Um, The same thing, like observing someone in their space. That's technically a research method, but really low lifts. Not a lot of time. And you get to see the pain points that someone's experiencing in their day-to-day in their role that you can then incorporate into whatever solution you're designing. Um, so it doesn't right. always have to be a heavy lift. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Another thing that I, I think might be um, a difficult mental shift for people is is understanding that the work that goes into user research doesn't necessarily have to be project-based. Like It doesn't need to be a project-to-project thing that you do. Like you can mm-hmm. look into who your learning audience is and what their work environment is like all that kind of stuff as a separate project of sorts that then informs all your other work it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be just okay this is the the needs analysis phase of this one project i'm working on and i need to go talk to users to fulfill this this one product it can be a an, an more overarching thing that informs all your work for your whole team
1: yeah i'm actually working on something similar with our product uh, teams uh, at user interviews is a lot of the time when ux teams product teams are designing new features it's very similar to the way that instructional designers do where it's like project by project um they want to build something they want to measure the success of that and so i'm working more holistically to say what are our personas for our entire platform? (laughs) And that's Mm -hmm. honestly in 2022 going to be a huge focus for me. And it's going to be likely I'm going to be putting together proto personas very quickly uh, based off of what we currently know. And then doing some follow-up studies to really start to identify over time, who, who's our customers? What do we know about our customers? Um, and so that will be going on at the same time as our product teams are doing the individual project by project work, uh, similar to the way that like instructional designers will be as well.
0: Mm -hmm. You mentioned, um, proto personas. Can you give us a definition of what those are and how they would differ from a regular persona?
1: Yeah. So proto personas, um, I really define them as they their personas typically based on like assumptions or gut feeling, instincts, opinions, guesses. Um, whereas when you put together traditional personas, they're an artifact from a study that you ran, whether it's a survey, one-on-one interviews. Typically, you can connect the dots between we talked to a customer. This is their need, and here's how it's reflected into the persona. Um, I will typically try to create proto personas before I kick off any type of persona study to just get our assumptions, our biases, our guesses into a tangible artifact, making it more explicit for everyone who you're having, like who your stakeholders are. Um, And then we'll use that as I do follow up studies to see like how close were we to our assumptions and what we thought. Uh, our customers, our audiences were,
0: yeah, that's, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It's challenging assumptions. And now mm-hmm. that you, you point out the distinction, I, I bet there's a big risk and it's probably something I've done in the past where I've probably thought I was creating personas when really I was creating proto personas where I wasn't really yeah. putting enough research into it and just running on what I thought, uh, Needed to go into the, into the persona.
1: Oh, I've done those too. <laughs> I've done those too, and it's even true. Like, um if you create a persona based off of talking to eight customers, is that representative of your your wider audience? You just said like you had ten thousand employees in mm-hmm. one organization. Is talking to eight customers representative of that? Right. Um, and o- oftentimes, I'll try to blend methods too. So. I might identify themes from those one-on-one interviews and then send a survey or something as follow-up to kind of quantify it a little bit more for your personas.
0: Hmm. Man. So, so interesting and so much stuff that goes into it. And yeah, I just, I just find it fascinating. And I really hope that our listeners in the learning and development field, at least do a little bit of research into what user research is on their own and, and, how it can be beneficial, the different techniques you can use. Like we've discussed previously, it doesn't need to be something that is super formal or takes a long time. Yeah, it's something that I think everyone can do and it can be beneficial for the whole team to kind of do this kind of work up front.
1: I'm seeing a trend because at user interviews, we have many different customers from all different organizations, company sizes, I do see a theme in more enterprise companies where they're actually hiring roles on people teams that are called talent researchers. And they're actually doing research, HR research, talent research, about what is the best way to do work inside of our organization. They answer questions about company values, um, they're doing the research to inform learning and development. Um, so I do think that it's going to be more of a trend over time as well, is that you see more user research roles, talent research roles inside of organizations.
0: That's really interesting to hear, because I in my experience, the bigger the organization, the more disconnect between, I don't want to just say leadership and, and the people in the trenches, but yeah. there's just a bigger disconnect. because. The organization is more spread out. There's different areas of the business, whatever. And I feel like the companies that keep things in the forefront of who their people are and how they do the work and keeping that efficient, it's going to be a a differentiator in, I want to say in the future, but it's probably already happening now that it sets them apart the same way that companies that have made a digital transition, say, or that have more of a design thinking mindset have, have... differentiated themselves in the market i think yeah having a, a specific role for talent experience designers is that what you said yeah yeah talent that's, that's researchers talent yeah. researchers okay yeah that's a cool role
1: yeah that's i always talk about that's probably my 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 dream role and where i'll probably end up within my career is moving back into the talent space as a researcher mm-hmm. um because those are the type of that's how i got started my career i love people I love customers um but there's just so much when you think about the future of work uh workplace and performance improvement um Um, that's a place that's always gonna tug on my heartstrings a little bit
0: so yeah well that's cool that's that that's something you're passionate about yeah So, so shifting gears something else I know you're passionate about uh, that you're big into mindfulness and you do these mindfulness sessions. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I, um, I personally have been on my mindfulness and meditation journey really for the past 10 years. Um, it's helped a lot personally with like just workplace stress, um, settling in and taking things moment by moment in life. And I started uh, getting my certification two years ago through Brown U- University. Um, they have the mindfulness-based stress reduction training program there. Um, and so I'm almost done with my teacher certification, um, but shortly after joining user interviews, I actually I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna offer weekly my meditations for our employees. Um, didn't really ask for for permission. I just started doing it. Um, <laughs> I do it every Wednesday at one o'clock. It's fifteen minutes. Everyone from the company is invited to drop in.
0: Yeah, that's really cool and something that I, you didn't ask permission. But but I'm sure it's something that the company gets a lot of benefit out of. You know, people oh, especially yeah. now are just yeah. under so much stress and and the uncertainty of everything. Really, it it helps just for to have fifteen minutes to to really slow down and, and focus on, on just your breath or whatever. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've had a solid turnout, um, each week really I'm I'm so surprised. I did my final session last week before the holidays, we've had at least around five to 10 people each week. Um, Mm -hmm. and for context, our company is around 80 people. Um, and so so I'm actually. It's a good turnout. Yeah. And I'm going to be continuing it next year and then doing more formal workshops um, and training and education around it. But yeah, so needed. So needed now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that you're doing it over Zoom or something similar so it can scale indefinitely. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we do it through Zoom. Um, we did have a, a retreat, an in-person retreat in October. So I got to lead one session in person, which is nice. But <laughs> um, it's it's a nice way to get out my instructional design <laughs> tendencies too. I just love teaching. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah.
1: And so it's, it's being in the Zoom room again and doing sessions like that are always nice.
0: Yeah, like a, a live facilitation. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really cool. And um yeah, I I just like I said at the top, I I really think you have a unique um career journey and you obviously have passions and and desires to go different places. Uh talent researcher, <laughs> that's that's a super cool field to get into. So I, I I look forward to seeing where your career goes from here.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I do have to say it's been a winding road. Um I often felt when I was doing instructional design work, um, that I, there wasn't any roles that fit me, like as a learning experience designer, as an instructional designer, it's been a lot of trying to get the nuance of what energizes me, what de-energizes me and starting to build what I wanted in my career. And it kind of manifested itself along the way. Um, and mm-hmm. so I encourage people, if you don't see a role that is a hundred percent suits you, sometimes you can end up creating a role for yourself in an organization. Um, mm-hmm. which is a really exciting opportunity to have too.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I just from personal experience, uh, I, I know just jumping around to to different companies and before yeah, my career, anything that I would put on LinkedIn, just tons of different roles and companies and, and things that I never thought I'd be doing, you yeah. know, at the time I, I said, well, these are just dead end jobs. And I had anxiety about not really starting a career yet, um, in my late twenties, but in hindsight, all those different experiences had something valuable in them, uh, oh, yeah. that I take into what I do now even. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely like that part about making your own role if, if, if yeah. you know, you don't have one currently that you want. Awesome. Well, thank you, Roberta, for speaking with us today. It's been a pleasure.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.